Hello, my macabies. The Wheel of Ghastly Tales is here before me as always, and it is ready for a big spin so we can find out what we're going to be getting ourselves into today. Where will it land? Find out next on Season 1, Episode 8 of the Mod Macabre Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode filled with the strange, unusual, and downright weird stories that I have for you at the ready. The Wheel of Ghastly Tales gives us a topic with a spin, and it will land on one of five categories, which are history's mysteries, creepy crime, the unsolved, terrible people, and of course, my favorite category of them all, what the macabre Once we have our category, we dive right in, and that is what we're going to do right now. Here we go. Okay, we have landed on terrible people. And I got to tell you, I think I admitted this before, but terrible people is my least favorite category. And it's not because I don't like the category in general. It's just these stories absolutely boggle my mind. Like I cannot believe that there are people that are so sinister and awful and cruel in this world. It's just, this story is going to be personally difficult for me to get through. Because when doing research to get these stories at the ready, I often find that two of my distinct Achilles heels, which are crimes against children and sexual assault, get very triggered due to the nature of these ghastly stories. I am still going to deliver these stories to you because unfortunately they happened. And these crimes deserve to be spoke about in order to not just publicly shame the monsters who masterminded and carried out these sick plans, but also to educate the public on what has happened and what could possibly happen again. So this is my trigger warning to you. In this episode of Terrible People, we will be discussing violent acts of sexual assault. And please know that if it makes you uncomfortable in any way, I completely understand. And I just ask that you listen with caution or just come on back early next week for the new episode. Now that the housekeeping portion is complete, it's time to introduce you to the next psychopath. I mean, person who has gained themselves a permanent spot on the wheel of ghastly tales as a truly terrible person. And we're going to wait to find out who that is. Elizabeth Fritzel was born on April 6, 1966, to her parents, Joseph and Rosemary Fritzel. Elizabeth had three brothers and three sisters, and they all lived in the town of Amstestein, which is located in the country of Austria. 
Elizabeth was a very bright student and she completed her compulsory education requirements, which can be compared to the high school requirements in the United States, by the time that she was 15 years old. She then enrolled in a course that would train her to become a waitress so that she could work and make her own money. But in January of 1983, Elizabeth ran away from her home and she went into hiding in Vienna with a friend that she had made at work. Her parents were grief-stricken over her absence and they continuously pressured the local authorities to find her since she was still a minor and not yet an adult. Three weeks after she left, the police found her in Vienna and they returned her to Joseph and Rosemary. No one knew why Elizabeth had run away, but when she was returned, she rejoined her waitress course and upon completion, she was offered a job in the nearby town of Linz. On August 28th in the year 1984, Elizabeth was home enjoying a day off from her work schedule when she heard her father calling to her for some assistance. When she got to where he was, he explained that he was having trouble carrying a door and he asked her to help him carry it down the steps and hold it steady while he hung the hinge pins. After the job was complete, she turned to walk back up the stairs but was immediately pulled backwards and before she could understand what was happening, a rag filled with ether covered her nose and mouth until she fell unconscious onto the floor. Unbeknownst to anyone else in the family, Joseph Fritzell had been sexually molesting his daughter, Elizabeth, since she was 11 years old. It's very clear, obviously, now why at age 15 she had run away from the home, and this story makes it so much more exceptionally heartbreaking that the police found her like they were supposed to, and they brought her back to the abuse. Now, of course, they had no way of knowing at that time because much like most survivors, Elizabeth didn't tell them about the sexual assault at the hands of her father because she believed that nothing would be done about it and it would just only get worse. Also unbeknownst to anyone in the family was that for years, since Elizabeth had run away at age 15 to her turning 18 and doing what she was told to hang the door, Joseph Fritzell had spent all of that time building a secret underground compound to be used for the sole purpose of imprisoning his daughter. It contained a living quarters and narrow hallways that connected multiple rooms. He included a small bathroom area, a refrigerator, a hot plate, and a bed. He even went so far as to get a permit for the space, which Austrian inspectors came in and approved. And of course, again, they had no way that, that to know that this was going to be a, a capture dungeon, but... The basement was not temperature controlled and there were only two ways to access the new dungeon, which Fritzl hid both in his workshop that he secured by utilizing a series of five locked doors. What Elizabeth didn't know when she returned to her parents at age 15 after she ran away was that she unfortunately was very right. Things were about to not just get very, very worse. The fate that was about to befall her was just downright unimaginable. Okay, so before we get into what actually happened, now is a really good time to just take a quick break uh, and listen to an ad from our sponsor, Anger FM by Spotify, and we will continue to find out the ghastly details behind the reason 
And as you know now, Joseph Fritzell is our terrible person of this episode. Truly, truly terrible people. We will be right back after this break. Okay, so poor Elizabeth wakes up chained to the metal headboard. There are no windows, no sun, no way to possibly know what time of day it was, and obviously she is completely terrified. She already knew her father was a monster, and she now knows that she had been lured into the basement by him under the ruse of helping him with the door that now she was a prisoner behind. This was day one of her imprisonment. Although Elizabeth surely knew in that moment that her biggest nightmare had come true and probably spent those moments struggling with the chains and trying to free herself, the truth was she could never have imagined in that moment that when she woke up that morning, it would be the last time she saw the sunlight, the last time that she wouldn't be held in captivity by her father for the next... 24 years. Elizabeth spent the first three months in the basement dungeon bound by chains. At first, they were on her arms, but eventually he moved them to be only around her waist, acting as somewhat of a leash so that she could independently walk to use the restroom, but it prevented her from escaping. Six to nine months after her initial capture, Joseph Fritzell removed all of her constraints because they hindered his ability to rape her daily. Now, if you're like me at this point in the story, you're saying to yourself, where the hell is Elizabeth's mom during all of this? Like, what is Rosemary, the mother? What is she doing? Well, when Elizabeth quote unquote disappeared, Rosemary filed a missing persons report with the local authorities, but unlike when Elizabeth was 15, the fact of the matter was that she was now considered to be a legal adult, and most likely since she had a history of running away in the past, there wasn't too much effort put into finding her. It's hard to imagine that Rosemary lived for 24 years directly above her imprisoned daughter and had no idea that she was there, right? Well, a couple of things on that. Number one, a month after Rosemary filed the missing persons report, Joseph stated that he had gotten a letter from Elizabeth that, of course, he forced her to write in the basement that said she had grown tired of living with the family and that she had moved in with a friend. Rosemary turned the letter, postmarked from Brunau, which is a town in northern Austria that borders Germany, she turned this over to the police, and although she expressed grief and sadness over the fact that Elizabeth had left, she was also extremely glad that she was safe, or so she thought. Number two. There was actually an entire floor between the basement area and where Joseph and Rosemary actually resided. They rented out the ground floor to multiple tenants over the 24 years that Elizabeth was held in captivity, and one of the tenants later testified that he heard noises coming from the basement while he resided there for 12 years, but when he asked Joseph about them, he just stated that the noises were coming from old plumbing and it was nothing to be to worry about and number three 
In order to get where Joseph kept Elizabeth prisoner, there were a total of eight doors that needed to be unlocked, one of which was hidden behind a shelf in Joseph's basement. And this was in his workshop, and it required a keyless code to be entered in order for it to be unlocked. But what was even more awful was that Joseph had taken painstaking efforts to soundproof the basement, but in particular, one room that he bought a television and a VCR for, and he would force Elizabeth to watch pornographic videotapes and then reenact the scenes with him. If she tried to resist him, he would kick her and physically assault her with his fists. And in addition to the pain that he inflicted upon Elizabeth, he was also abusive to his wife and other children upstairs. After being interviewed, his neighbors and former tenants years later stated that he ran his home like a dictator. And I'm assuming that's so no one would ever ask him any questions. In 1986, Two years after her imprisonment and being raped daily, Elizabeth inevitably became pregnant with her father's child. This pregnancy resulted in a miscarriage after 10 weeks, but by 1988, she became pregnant again, and this time, she gave birth to a baby girl who she named Kirsten. The whole time Elizabeth was pregnant, she obviously received no prenatal care, and Joseph told her that he would not be present for the birth because he found the whole process to be what he considered distasteful. And he just gave her a book on childbirth that was written in the 1960s, a bottle of disinfectant, and some extra towels. Over the 24 years that Joseph Fritzell held his daughter in captivity, he impregnated her eight times. Eight times. The first time, as we now know, ended in a miscarriage. But altogether, Elizabeth gave birth to seven children in that basement dungeon. Okay, so let's go through the timeline of the children here. Kirsten was born in 1988. Next came Stefan. He was born in February of 1990. Both of these children lived in the basement with Elizabeth with no windows, no sunlight, nothing. Even more horrifically, Joseph would frequently sexually assault Elizabeth in front of the children and force them to watch in order to just humiliate her. When he became angry with Elizabeth, he would cut off the power to the basement and not deliver food to her or the children for days, forcing them to starve in complete darkness. Now, in August of 1992, Elizabeth gives birth to another baby girl who she names Lisa. And in May of 1993, when Lisa was nine months old, Joseph removed her from the basement because he said that she was a crybaby and he didn't want her crying to alert the upstairs tenant to the basement dungeon. So he forced Elizabeth to write a note asking him and Rosemary, her mother, to please care for the child since she could not because she had joined a cult and they did not allow its members to have children. With the note, he placed nine-month-old Lisa in a cardboard box and set it on the steps that led to the Fritzell household, knowing that Rosemary would discover it when she came home that day from the market. Now, of course... 
Rosemary falls right into Joseph's trap. She comes home from the market. She finds this baby in the box and a note from her daughter who she's been longing to hear from, from all, for all these years. And so she brings the baby in the house and she tells Joseph what she found. And oh my God, we need to take care of this baby. So his plan worked like a charm. In February of 1994, the fourth child, another girl, is born and Elizabeth named her Monica. Ten months later, baby Monica is mysteriously discovered in a pushchair outside the entrance to the Fritzel house. So this time, Joseph didn't force Elizabeth to write a note. He actually forced her to make a recording, which he played into the phone when his wife answered. There was actually a note at this time made in Elizabeth's case file by the authorities because that's where Rosemary went. She went and reported the phone call and the arrival of the new baby. And in the file, it states that Rosemary just couldn't help. You know, she was so perplexed because she had no idea how Elizabeth could have the family's new unpublished phone number. In 1995, Elizabeth again becomes pregnant, and this time in April of 1996, she gives birth to twin boys who she named Michael and Alexander. One of the twins, Michael, was born with respiratory problems, and for days, Elizabeth begged Joseph to take the baby to the hospital, and he refused, and Michael died shortly after his birth. And Fritzl took this baby's body and he threw it into an incinerator to get rid of the evidence. And the twin who survived, Alexander, he was taken upstairs at age 15 months and once again, just mysteriously showed up on the doorstep. The last child was born in December of 2002. Elizabeth named him Felix and instead of bringing him upstairs, Joseph left him in the basement because he felt that Rosemary would be unable to care for another child. And now, so life continues for the next six years after the last child. You've got the upstairs children who are Lisa, Monica, and Alexander. And they frequently went to flute and trumpet lessons. They went to children's gymnastics. They were frequently seen at the public library with their grandmother, Rosemary. And everyone just, you know, they just admired Rosemary and Joseph for being so brave to raise their, their grandchildren. And then you had the downstairs children. You've got Kirsten, Stefan, and Felix, who had never seen a ray of sunshine in their entire lives. And their mother taught them how to read and write. They never had medical care and they would starve for days in the dark when Joseph Fritzl was mad. At this time, Elizabeth was now 42 years old and she had spent 24 of them in captivity. Kirsten was 19 years old, Stefan was 17 years old, and little Felix was five years old. Their whole lives spent in the basement dungeon. Now it was that same year, it was April of 2008, things take a shift. Kirsten becomes gravely ill, gravely ill, and obviously due to their living conditions and lack of sunlight, all of the children had always been 
pretty sickly, but this was far worse. Kirsten was having severe cramps throughout her whole body. She was biting through her lips until they bled. And Elizabeth begged Fritzel, please take Kirsten to the hospital. And at first he refused, but a strange thing happened. Her insistence then paid off. For some reason, whatever reason, he actually agreed. And there's been some theories about this that, you know, maybe he was having a change of heart over the years. Doubtful. This man is a monster. I'm probably thinking that he just didn't know how he was going to dispose of a full-grown woman's body if Kirsten died. I, I honestly think that with my whole heart. So he agrees and he carries Kirsten's body with Elizabeth's help through these eight locked doors and out to the waiting vehicle. It had been 24 years since Elizabeth had helped him carry that door that sealed her fate. And now she was helping to carry the lifeless body of her 19-year-old daughter outside. So, of course, Fritzel orders her back into the dungeon after she assisted him with carrying Kirsten to the car. And he told her if she didn't go that he would murder Stefan and Felix. And, of course, she believed him. She had no reason not to. And so she goes back into the dungeon. And in that moment, she has no idea if she is ever going to see her firstborn daughter, Kirsten, alive again. Surprisingly enough... Joseph Fritzel actually took Kirsten, who was completely unresponsive at this point, to the hospital. The doctors and nurses there could not believe what they were seeing. Here before them was this ashen-skinned, underdeveloped woman whose teeth were so rotten that they had all disintegrated and most of them had fallen out of her mouth. She was suffering from extreme kidney failure and then they placed her into a medically induced coma to help save her life. When they questioned Fritzel, he stated that he had heard a noise in the alleyway. And when he went to investigate the strange noise, he found Kirsten leaning up against a brick wall with, again, a note in her pocket from her mother, Elizabeth, explaining, hey, I need you to help this. You know, she's very sick. Please help. The medical staff there, they were like, this makes no sense. Thank God, right? Thank God that they looked at this poor woman and was like, this is not adding up. And so they contact the local authorities. They began looking back into Elizabeth's case file at that point, even though at this now they're 24 years too late. In the meantime, the media put out a plea for Elizabeth to come forward to help explain her daughter's strange medical status. And the police re-interviewed Fritzel, who reiterated that Elizabeth had joined a cult and he gave them what he called her most recent letter. The police then contacted a gentleman by the name of Manfred Wolfert, who was a church officer and he was actually an expert on occults. And he studied the letters given to that, given to him, the most recent letter and the ones over the years. And he stated that they were inconsistent with known call activity. They were very oddly worded and they seemed to be dictated. Of course, all of this is happening under the radar. And Fritzl had returned home where Elizabeth begged him to allow her to go to the hospital and give information to the medical authorities that could help save Kirsten's life. And on the 26th of April, 2008, Joseph Fritzl released Elizabeth 
Stefan, and Felix from their underground prison, and he brought them upstairs. He then brought Elizabeth to the hospital, and the medical staff alerted authorities to their presence after they had requested to know if anyone came to visit Kirsten, who was still in a coma. They see Fritzel, who immediately they know brought Kirsten in, but then they see this other woman who is also ashen-skinned and sickly, and they were like, this is just too odd. So the police came to the hospital, and they detained both Elizabeth and Joseph and took them to the police station for separate questioning. When Elizabeth was finally separated from her father, she told the authorities that she would not provide them any information unless they guaranteed her that she would never have to see her father ever again. They absolutely honored her request. They put it in writing. And over the course of two hours, she told them every chilling detail about the 24 years that she spent as her father's prisoner. Shortly after midnight on the 27th of April, 2008, Joseph Fritzell was arrested for the rape, incest, and false imprisonment of his daughter, Elizabeth, and the murder of his son slash grandson, Michael, in 1996, because he was born with that respiratory distress and Fritzell let him die. He refused to take him to the hospital and let him die. And so they also charged him with murder. The trial lasted four days. Honoring their promise to never ever make Elizabeth see her father again, the police and the court allowed her to provide her testimony via pre-recorded videotape and the entire duration was eight hours. Okay, so a couple of things about the trial here. Uh, when Joseph Ritzel entered the courtroom, to answer to the charges that he had against him, he held a blue folder up to his face the whole time because he was so shamed uh, to be in the public spotlight. And he was allowed to do that under Austrian law, but they they had to clear the courtroom out so he would bring the folder down and he pled guilty um, to the charges with the exception of the murder. And so they started the actual trial. And again, it lasted four days. And in his opening comments, ugh, the defense attorney, and I'm not kidding you here, I, I can't make this stuff up. The defense attorney asked the jury to please be just objective and don't let your emotions, you know, over overrun the facts of this case. He insisted that Fritzl wasn't this monster, that in fact, you know, he had shown his soft side by bringing a Christmas tree down to the basement dungeon uh, for the holidays and that he had spent multiple instances telling Rosemary that he had to work uh, long hours so that he could spend birthdays with the downstairs children. The jurors, they had to sit through Elizabeth's eight hours of video testimony, you know, obviously so she didn't have to be present in the courtroom with her father. And they had, they requested to only listen to two hours of her testimony a day because it was so harrowing and awful and just, it's all they could stomach was two hours a day. And they had to have four replacement juries on standby at any given moment just to replace any of the jurors that could just couldn't handle 
the responsibility and listening to the disturbing facts of this case. Okay, so here's the real kicker. On the 19th of March, 2009, Fritzl was found guilty, sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for 15 years. So what that meant was he was, he got life in prison for the murder, you know, the murder of his grandson, the imprisonment of this young woman, but that he would be eligible for parole in 15 years. That is much shorter than all of the years that Elizabeth spent in her own prison. So now I absolutely could not in good conscience end the episode on that note that this man would actually have an ability at some point in the year 2023 to be considered for parole. So no fears, Maccabees, no fears. I got you. I have an update so that you can sleep better tonight. Uh, actually in April of 2021, the Stein prison, now that is Austria's most secure psychiatric prison that Joseph Fritzel is currently serving his life sentence in. They made a transfer request. They said that he was now stable and that he would be able to be transferred to a normal prison, which meant That if he got out of Stein and went to a normal prison per their transfer request, that he would immediately be eligible for parole consideration. Now, obviously, the prosecutor's office in Austria, some senior judges there, they were furious about this transfer request. And they said, absolutely no way. This isn't happening. And so they put together a petition. And in June of 2022... The decision was made to keep Fritzl in the Stein prison because he is still continuously a danger to society. So, of course, you're probably wondering what happened to Elizabeth and the children after the trial. Well, she was granted um, anonymity, given a new identity along with her children, and she still continues to live in Austria under this new name. And... She has gone through, obviously, extensive therapy, and so had her children. They needed to do sunlight therapy, mental therapy. I mean, you you can just imagine how hard it must have been readjusting to a very big world, especially the children who had never known anything outside of those basement walls. But I did some checking because I couldn't stop thinking about Rosemary. Now, I know that she... You know, at the trial, Elizabeth said, hey, Rosemary had nothing to do with my um, capture. You know, she never brought groceries down. She, She legit was in the dark about this whole thing. But there's something that really irritates me about this whole situation. So let's take this back before Elizabeth was born. And I know it's kind of a strange time to do this now, but I can't stop thinking about these red flags. So in 1967, when Joseph Fritzel was 32 years old, he broke into a home in the town of Linz and he raped a 24-year-old nurse while her husband was away by holding a knife to her throat and threatening to kill her if she screamed. He was arrested for the rape and he served 12 months of an 18-month prison sentence for it. 
That same year, he was named as a suspect in an attempted rape of a 21-year-old woman and was also known for frequently exposing himself to other random females. So, I did the math. And Elizabeth was born in 1966. And that means she was a year old when her father went to prison for rape. Like, forcible rape. And Rosemary was married to him and she was just okay with that. I mean, remember, Elizabeth had three brothers and three sisters. So clearly, after Joseph got out of jail, I mean, they continued to be married for 52 years. And yeah, you know, I thought about the fact that maybe he had convinced her that they got the wrong guy or who knows. Uh, And not to go too far off that here, but I think it just adds my confusion to my confusion about Rosemary. And during the trial, another peculiar fact came out about the Fritzl household. When Joseph and Rosemary married, they bought and moved into an Amsterdam house in 1959. Shortly thereafter, Joseph's mother, Maria, moved in with the two of them. But it turns out Joseph hated his mother, or so he later told the psychiatrist. He said that she used to beat him and his father abandoned him because of her, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to go too far into his excuses because, of course, he's a horrible person and he doesn't deserve excuses, in my opinion. But here's the point. When Maria, his mother, moved in with them to punish her, he bricked up all the windows in the attic and he forced her to live up there without sunlight or human contact. And she died in 1980. So we're talking almost 20 years. That this woman had a miserable existence at the hands of her son and Rosemary, she just didn't do anything about it. She just went right along with it. And lastly, this is how I'm going to finish out this episode because I have to admit that after everything that we've learned and everything that we've heard, there's one part of the puzzle that I haven't told you guys yet. And honestly, this piece is the part that keeps me awake at night. So remember how I told you that Elizabeth was just one years old when Joseph went to prison for raping the 24-year-old nurse? Well, it turns out that Joseph Fritzl actually developed the idea to imprison Elizabeth while he was serving his time in prison for the rape. Yeah, he later told a psychiatrist that in 1968, 1968, he devised the perfect solution to his deranged fantasies. He decided then and again, when this was Elizabeth, she was just shy of being two years old that when he got out of prison, that he would lock his daughter up when she became quote unquote of age so that he could use her to live out his evil side without a threat of going to prison for it. And at the same time, just live out uh, what everyone else would would see as just a normal life. I cannot stop thinking about how this man just watched his daughter grow up, knowing full well the entire time that he celebrated each birthday or a milestone that her fate was already set in his hands. I know, I know that there's no way that Rosemary could have known what his evil plan was, but again, during their marriage, he beat her, most likely forced her into sexual acts of depravity, and he locked his mother up in the attic after breaking all the windows, and then he goes to prison for forcible rape, and yet, 
Rosemary, she stayed. And even though after all of this came out and Elizabeth told the police that her mother had nothing to do with the kidnapping, she never broke groceries down, she didn't know she was there, I still just cannot feel like it's such a travesty that by staying, Rosemary sealed her daughter's fate. And here's the last interesting fact I'm going to leave you with. So Rosemary never filed for divorce from Joseph. No, he actually filed for divorce from her from prison in March of 2009, stating he was divorcing his wife of 52 years because she failed to visit him in prison. And therefore that was grounds for divorce. Now, no one really knows why Rosemary didn't file. A lot of people suspect that because there was a divorce, Rosemary was no longer eligible for Joseph's pension payments. Who knows? All I'm saying is all of these details combined with each other just really makes me so sad for Elizabeth because there were so many opportunities to save her from the fate that befell her and none of them were taken and it's just an absolutely heartbreaking story uh so yeah that's that for this episode my friends thank you again for joining me today on this horrible tale of terrible people and I really just want to again thank you for your support and join me next episode to find out what the heck we're going to talk about then on the Mod Macabre podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mod Macabre podcast. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please click on the five-star rating. And if you love the format of random creepy stories of the strange and unusual delivered by my campfire in story format, please subscribe to the Mod Macabre podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. New episodes are launched every Tuesday and Friday morning. Thank you again for listening.